My name is Lori Ellis, and I'm a writer and editor with Sightline, former Pharma Intelligence. Today, I'm here with Mike King, Senior Director of Product and Strategy at Acuvia, and Matt O'Donnell, Global Lead Life Sciences ISV Partners in Microsoft, to discuss how AI is evolving in the industry by increasing the quality of data being used. I want to thank you both for joining me today, and let's dive in. So the first question, I'm going to start with Mike. In a recent webinar, 72% of the audience reported that they were actively evaluating AI while only 18% use natural language process and 9% use machine learning. What do you think of the numbers or why do you think the numbers are slow for adoption or low for adoption? And then what do you feel needs to be done to increase adoption? Yeah, good question. Thanks, Laurie. I think uh, t two main things to start with. So I think first of all, it's something that I'd call the, the risk benefit analysis. And the second thing would be the cost of implementation. So if we look at the medtech and the pharmaceutical industries, um, any change comes with a potential risk of extra audits. And where you've got established systems and you already know that you can pass certain audits or things are under control, any change there tends to come with a bit of nervousness within the world of QARA. To, to overcome that, I think once you understand the benefits of AI and once you realize that a lot of AI functionality is actually in the tools we use today on an everyday basis, the confidence comes in. With the cost as well, I think most people tend to look at cost. I think the key thing to look at is actually value. So with some of the, the AI tools that you have, and if you focus on the value that's given, you can actually see it's a tool that helps free up resource and allows you to do what you do best every day. So by automating some of those transactional activities, by bringing in predictive algorithms to help you with your work, you actually increase the confidence and the skill of what it is you're doing. And it gives you more time to focus on those professional trained activities that can't necessarily be done by any automated algorithms. Matt, would you like to jump in as well? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I agree with everything that Mike said to, to start with. and But the one thing I'd want to add is that I feel for the need uh, for the increase of adoption, one thing that needs to be improved is the accuracy. Um, you know, AI in, is targeted first at general purpose use. Uh, we see this every day when people use things like, you know, Siri or Alexa. You know, that's natural language processing. And it's really trained on general purpose questions and answers. Um, but if you look at it in the medical field, the language is quite different. So, um, you know, I think what will need to happen is the accuracy and is happening as the accuracy in with medical domain specific language uh, needs to increase and improve. Uh, and we're seeing that happen. And I think as the more users experience the increases in accuracy, the adoption will grow over time. So we're talking a little bit more about accuracy you mentioned. I want to move into are there any potential biases in AI? And then what are the roots of any of the biases? And then how do you mitigate it? And there's not potential biases in AI. There are biases in AI. It's and it's it's really based on the data that is used to train models. And uh, frankly, this is it, it goes has a deep history of some of the early models even being trained. And if you think about um, just images and images they were trained on. There was a bias in the images, and the, the images were generally more, um, you know, of males and Anglo-Saxon white men, things like that. And so the bias started 
with with just the training models themselves. And so that that's historically been a challenge with AI, and it's there's been a tremendous amount of focus to try to remove that that bias in in training data sets as we go forward. And I think that's really what has to happen. We have to be very conscious and cognizant of the fact that what we use to train these models will ultimately influence the results and you know be very diverse with the training sets uh, to be very open to you know many different types of uh, data in the in the originating training sets and then the AI models themselves should get uh, you know stronger better over time with that and that's that's what we're seeing and it's it's a it's a it's a long-term process to, of continual improvement yeah, I'm just listening and thinking. It sounds like you know, recognizing the biases are key, and then ensuring that you've got a you know, broad data sets and differing differing opinions that come in. And I think as well, being open to feedback. So as as AI systems develop and as they're used and as customers come back and raise their hand and say like, hey, this isn't as effective as as we thought. I think having the the humility as an organisation to recognise that perhaps the software didn't work in a way that it was intended. And perhaps there are these unseen biases that then allows the you know the algorithms to change any systematic errors to be rectified any data sets that need cleansing to be addressed and ultimately it brings a better quality product and in the context of healthcare it helps drive patient outcomes so i um i kind of look at the activities that we do on, a, on an organizational level to try and mitigate against you know known and unknown bias and then as you apply those into ai there seems to be quite a consistent overlap I just think it's very topical, even if you look at what's happening with, with Twitter and Elon Musk and, you know, the fact that you really can't, like human beings really couldn't take on all the data that is happening on Twitter and, and monitor it. So AI will be used for that. And to Mike's point, making it more transparent what these, you know, AI models are doing instills confidence in the broader community. So if and I think it ultimately leads to less uh, less bias because people will um, you know have a chance to understand sort of the foundational elements of what makes a model, uh, you know what you know, the inputs and outputs are, and and having that transparency will ultimately improve, you know, and, and lessen biases in the AI models. I believe as well. So I just totally agree with what Mike was saying. Yeah, Matt, a quick thought there as well. I was I was reading something earlier around uh, you know search engines and social media. And how in many cases the users the product and ultimately it's, it's through driving revenues through marketing you know a, a thought on there is if, if i look at ai in healthcare the outcome we're looking at is is better patient outcomes there there should be no marketing to us and i, I was thinking on the marketing side you tend to run algorithms that breed extremes um so extremes of emotion engage an emotive response and that drives revenues so in, in terms of mitigating on the ai healthcare side i'm, I'm assuming that a you know, a focused scope of activity and a well-defined purpose for AI helps mitigate some of that bias that could be brought in through, you know, through other channels where similar software is used in different domains. Well, can AI provide value in supporting the marketization of combination products? Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling. I, my usual phrase is it's complicated, which uh, most people chuckle at. <laughs> No, no, it really is. And I you know, I think coming back to Matt's point in terms of AI, um, the, the first place I would start is volume of data. So when we look at healthcare now as a whole, and we've, we've had many years of different products being in market, there is a wealth of data there in terms of product experience. And then on top of that, you can layer a wealth of information in terms of global regulation 
some of it global, some of it country specific, some of it product specific. So AI there helps you cut through that data. And um, you know, given my background as a you know, predominantly a regulatory albeit also quality professional, I've, I've seen a shift in the work we do. Um, historically, it was basically how much do you know and how well do you know your product type and can you bring forward that information quickly? There's almost too much to manage on an individual level. And so the professional role has shifted from how much do you know to can you ask the right question? And that's where AI comes in. So if I'm looking at a combination product, you know, I want to know what's its primary purpose. Um, I want to know the clinical application. I want to know the risk class and the risk profile. I want to know how I can gather data to support that submission. And I want to know what my options are. Um, so is it really on the border where we could argue if it's pharmaceutical or, or, or medical device? Is it a true combination that leads with medical device or is it a combination that leads with pharma? And, and making that assessment, given you know, all the parameters I've just shared, that's where AI comes in, not just in accuracy of assessment and showing some of the, the past outcomes that you may have had as an organisation, but also that speed of execution. So something that could have taken an individual several weeks of study, you can now gather that data quicker with AI and hopefully have a more focused review in a much shorter timeline. Yeah, and I would just add that, I mean, I think more and more as we're, we're trying to treat people holistically, um, you know, think about the from a combination product perspective, you know, if it's a therapeutic, if it's uh, say a drug, um, that's that's going clearly beneficial. But if it can be combined with you know medical devices or even devices that like let's say an Apple Watch, that can, in combination with the right AI, you know, improve that overall uh, experience and, and therapeutic value, um, that's you know that's more valuable to the patient. And I and I, I think that's pretty obvious in some cases that that can happen. Um, and specifically with the AI, I would I would look at really tailoring the therapeutic experience for that individual. So understanding the data of, of the person and learning from it um, and making suggestions is, is an example of where you know a combination of, of a drug and a device that le le leverages AI will, will come together. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> And no, no, it's, it's key. I know I said it's complicated earlier, and it depends. Um, you know, these are the variables. It, it is complicated to to bring these products to the market, and quite rightly so. Um, we've we've got a mix of technologies coming together to deliver a, a clinical activity on on patients. So it's only right that the due diligence is done, and that the the right information is in place to to really support the science as to why these products are, are put in market. And yeah, everything, yes to everything Matt said, um, you know, AI helps drive that scientific activity. And I think if you um, if you go back and look at the recent event with COVID, you know, vaccines were brought to market very, very quickly. And there's lots of reasons as to why that was the case with some of the technologies that were already quite well developed. But if you look at that general public appetite now, there, there's you know, again quite rightly questions on why does it take so long to get to market? Are there any ways of doing this quicker? And one of the ways in which we can really optimise that go-to-market timeline for, for global countries is through using AI in some of those key decision-making points. I should probably say there as well is, is the information provided for humans to make decisions. Um, so the administrative side of that decision-making is, is obviously a key debate in QARA. So is, is AI decision-making or is it decision-supporting? And depending on those two, you, you can have a slightly different regulatory outcome in terms of what you need to demonstrate.
So then the next question is, could you briefly explain the evolution of cognitive services and where we are now? And then additionally, where do you see this evolution taking us in the future? Yeah, so I'll start with that one. I mean, so first of all, just to kind of level set, um, cognitive services is a term uh, that's not, not, let's say, used everywhere. But at least from Microsoft's perspective, it's um, it's a grouping of AI services that simulate human senses. So sight, um, you know, vision, hearing, speech, knowledge, et cetera. Uh, and I think the, 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 the initial bar for that is can we can we uh, achieve human parity? And I think with, with basically over time, and it's been over pretty much like the last decade, most of there's been a, human parity has been achieved across all of those. But I think it's been done in a very controlled sense. So you know, with like as an example with speech, you know, with with a great microphone and a quiet room, et cetera, um, it's it's achieved. And also with say general purpose language, so. You know, as you move into more complex environments and you move into more complex language, um, you know, we're not quite there yet across the board. And I think that this is kind of where we need to go. Uh, and I think, you know, we we basically experience this every day. You know, you ask Alexa a question, it gets it right most of the time. But if it's in a little bit of a crowded room or if it's a complicated question, you might get a completely off, off the wall answer. And that's kind of where things are uh, with uh, where they are today. And I think, you know, It'll it'll improve. It continues to improve. It's it's actually quite amazing. I feel how how much it has improved and just how much we can interact with AI today, and we do it all the time. So I just I see the improvement is uh, it's you know it's at a pretty high bar right now, and just incremental improvements over time will just make it stronger and stronger to achieve human parity. Yeah, and from my side, it's um, you know I've I've traveled a fair amount with work, and I remember when uh, you know translation talk first came out. And you'd use it to try and navigate some of those countries that you weren't entirely sure of what it was you were doing. Uh, and nowadays, if you look at the smartphones, you can read a menu in different languages um, from, from different alphabets. So that, that step forward in technology is, is pretty significant. When I, when I apply that to, to healthcare, if you look at translating um, you know, SPCs in the pharma world or, or IFUs in the medtech world, you, you can do a, a fairly good first pass translation but some of the more technical clinical terms don't always come out the right way. And I'm smiling because I think most have done that exercise where you could take a phrase in your local language, put it through a translation machine, take that again and push it back. And you compare the input to the output and you do get some some funny deviations. But th those gaps are closing. So um, you know when I look at the you know, where we're going on the future, that finessing, that quality of data that Matt spoke about earlier, that's really allowing us to drive some some pretty good outcomes. And um, you know, recently I was involved in a demo where we we took AI and embedded some of this intelligence in virtual reality. Um, and conceptually, what we were able to do, and, and this was a concept at the time, we were able to use a virtual reality environment and take apart a medical device product and start changing three or four key components. And in real time, we saw the impact that this would have done in terms of time to make the change in markets, cost to implement, and complexity. So um, when you look at that combination now of AI and virtual reality, you're able to make real-time decisions using the virtual world to help support that decision-making process. But again, quality of data is high, timeliness is high, and impact on, on what that does with your, your global product is also timely as well. So the, you know, the future is quite exciting when we can join these different tools together. So then 
Is there a movement to increase AI on a global scale? And what do you anticipate in, for the future? If, if I look at my, my field, RAQA, um, the reality is the world is getting more complicated. So the, the teams are facing globally um, enhanced regulation, more complex regula regulation, and some fairly significant expectations from both regulators, patients, and other users of the devices. So that the workload that we're being asked to manage is ever increasing and it changes at a, an ever rapid rate. If you then look at the commercial constraints of a company, the solution of adding infinite resource to fix problems is not one that is, is financially viable. So when you bring those two drivers together, increased complexity and the, the lack of, of financially being able to just add resource each and every time there's a challenge, you need an alternative solution. And so that's where technology comes in. And if you look at the, those benefits of AI that we've covered, it allows you to automate transactional processes. It allows you to navigate the complex. It allows you to consider, are you asking the right question? And as you go through those things and combine it with machine learning, what you're able to do is, is utilize more of your human resource to focus on those professional scientific activities. And, and that's really the beauty of it. So, um, you know, to go back to the question, is there a movement to increase? I, I would say there's more commercial drivers out there that require us to find solutions. And AI is very well placed to be one of the big leaders in that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, effectively, the complexity that, that Mike spoke of is, is where AI can shine. I mean, any sort of non-AI based approach has been done, you know, trying to find new molecules or mole the right molecules, say, to, to, to cure a, a disease. It's, there's so many, so many challenges. It's such a complex thing to do. And we're starting to see the value of AI applied there, like we've seen the value of AI in many other fields. And, you know, if that value holds true, as I suspect it will, the scale of it globally will just continue to increase. So I, I anticipate that you know, the models will get stronger over time, but not to replace what's happening, but really just to augment uh, the researchers and physicians that are out there and make their, their jobs easier, uh, make them more proficient and you know, productive in a sense uh, with what their everyday activities are today. I have one more question. And Matt, I'm going to start with you. Are there AI use cases in other industries that you see could be adapted to the medical industries? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I, I think absolutely, first of all, is the simple answer. One thing I found interesting in some doing some work uh, in the, specifically in the med device field is that when you when you think about a medical device, it, it it's a it's a critical piece of you know material, critical infrastructure as we call it. Meaning you don't want your med device to go down. You don't want your med device to act off and, and do things that's not intended to do. And if you think about it that way, not in what it's doing, but the critical nature of it, similar uh, industries that have the same capabilities would be things like autonomous driving or in, in public safety, like military police. And, you know, in all of those cases, you want the same characteristics. You want it to be always up, always running, making good decisions, making decisions that are not going to hurt the human or not going to hurt the person. And so we, there's absolutely a lot of learnings, especially with like autonomous driving and applying that to a, a medical device, a connected medical device, like one that is 
making decisions based on data and, and using AI for those decision making. Uh, so that's a great, I felt that was, a, it, to me, it was an interesting observation that we came across as a company and one that I think is applicable. So, but Mike, over you. Yeah, so a couple of my side thinking on the, the manufacturing side. Um, so I think in, in legal industries, uh, a lot of preparation for mid to low level legal cases is is conducted by AI. So in effect, AI will compile the documentation that's then taken to courts uh, with the lawyers. If you look at the regulatory submission activity, there's a space there where AI could be used to compile 80% of original dossiers or 80% of a clinical evaluation or 80% of a risk analysis and assessment, and really then allow the augmented human user to go through and conduct those, those final scientific tests. Um, another one from architecture. Um, you know, nowadays you, you can get your standard paper drawings, but people use CAD CAM and three-dimensional drawings as well. And you get to go in and really have a look and feel of what something is before you know investments made and development occurs. If you look at that on a product side, and I'm thinking predominantly medical devices here, if you could create you know a 3D model or a virtual model, uh, and you can go in and start you know playing with it or breaking it, dare I say, you can gain information around human factors and additional risks. So there, there really is a good opportunity to to leverage some of those examples and bring them in. And I, um, you know, once read a book a, a few years ago that talked around thinking outside of the box. The the key comment was there's no such thing as thinking outside of the box. It's around joining two boxes that haven't been joined before. And I think that's the beauty here with with AI is when we look at AI in other industries and then ask that key question, how does that transfer across to the medical industry? We can really gain some benefits and get quite creative in how it's used. Well, thank you, Mike and Matt for taking time to have this conversation with me today. And I would also like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Acuvia, for making this great discussion possible. Thank you.